is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state is releasing the unemployment figures for April. We could be setting all sorts of records and not in a good way. Universal Orlando says it wants to reopen to the public by June 5th. Masks and social distancing will be required. Disney and SeaWorld still working on their plans. The governor shut down all short-term vacation rentals when the state went into lockdown more than two months ago, but eight more counties now have permission to restart those rentals. Sixteen counties have now been cleared. Vacation rentals in the panhandle are already booming. The unions that represent school teachers and college professors have created two task forces to come up with plans for a safe reopening of neighborhood schools and higher education. We'll take a deep dive into their first meeting and why they felt they needed to do this in the first place. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration releases a new forecast for the upcoming hurricane season. They're predicting an above-average number of storms, and there's even a chance it could be what they call extremely active, which is, of course, far worse. With hurricane season bearing down, the head of the state emergency management agency says he wants to stay on the job. Jared Moskowitz says he will not be running for an open Senate seat in South Florida. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida woman and 14 Florida men. Do not overthink it. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, May 22nd. There have now been 48,675 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Florida. That's an increase of 1,200 in just one day. The death toll has reached 2,222. That's 49 more than the day before. For the second consecutive week, more than 223,000 Floridians have filed for unemployment. The Labor Department is releasing the April unemployment rates for states today, and it's going to be gruesome, probably double digits. Governor Ron DeSantis says they're trying to keep up with all those claims, but there's never been anything like this in recent years. So we faced in Florida a prospect of really an unprecedented surge in reemployment claims, given the unprecedented nature of what was effectively a national shutdown of huge portions of our economy. And that was going to be a challenge under any circumstances, uh, but it was an even greater challenge given that this system, which the state has paid a lot of money for in the past, uh, was uh, really not up to the job. This was a system that was designed to have 1,000 individual users on the website at a given time, and you could surge it to 5,000. Well, when you're in a situation like this, that's the equivalent of throwing a jalopy in the Daytona 500. Uh, It's just not going to cut it. And so you needed to expand capacity uh, big time, and uh, it's taken a lot of work. There's still issues with this because, again, As you work on that engine, as you do all that, and you're going around the track at Daytona, you still have somewhat of a jalopy. And so you can put those other engine parts in there, has made a difference, but you got to keep tending to it and you got to keep doing other things. But, you know, I'm glad that we've paid out almost $2.7 billion. I know that more needs to be done and and we're going to continue to work with people to be able uh, to get more done. There are approximately 10 million people in Florida's workforce. And if there really are 2 million people who file jobless claims, well, you can do the math. It's a safe bet that today's unemployment numbers will be the worst, probably since the Great Recession of 08, 09, maybe even before that. 
As if the folks who were laid off and furloughed don't have enough worries, here's one more. A data breach at the Department of Economic Opportunity may have exposed the personal information of people applying for unemployment compensation. A spokeswoman for the agency says it was brief and they closed the breach in about an hour. But she won't say how many applicants were affected or what specific information was compromised. State Senator Linda Stewart of Orlando is ticked off because she found out about this from the media, not the unemployment office. Seems like the frustration just doesn't end with the DEO. I think we all can agree that, you know, this whole thing is total frustration for not just the senators that are trying to represent their constituents, but for over 700,000 people who are just trying to figure out how do they get through the system so that they can become eligible and uh, put food on their uh, table. Senator Stewart has written to the guy in charge of the unemployment office asking him to explain how the breach happened, how many people were compromised, what they've done to secure the system, and how people are supposed to believe that it really was just a short breach given all the problems with the system. Universal Orlando wants to open the company's theme parks as early as June. Universal's John Sproul says the target for reopening to the public is June 5th. Masks and temperature checks will be required for all employees and guests. Universal will also limit attendance at each park to ensure social distancing. They are the first of the major theme parks in Central Florida to present a reopening plan. Disney and SeaWorld won't be far behind. The Department of Business and Professional Regulation has lifted the vacation rental ban in eight more counties. That raises the total number of cleared counties to 16. The department approved reopening plans submitted by Charlotte, Duval, Lee, Levy, Nassau, Osceola, Pinellas, and St. John's counties. That's on top of the eight panhandle counties that were approved Tuesday along the Gulf Coast. After being excluded from the governor's task force on reopening the state, the Florida Education Association and the United Faculty of Florida have decided to come up with plans of their own. FEA President Frederick Ingram presided over the first meeting of the committee to reopen neighborhood schools. Our public schools, at our best as we know them, uh, are a pathway out of poverty, a ladder of opportunity, a place that develops civic engagement. Our schools are a place that provide the propeller for our economy and brings civility to to our nation's democracy, and that's who we are. Uh, on March 13th of this year, uh, our uh, public school education as we know it was upended by something called uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus, uh, where the governor uh, made a recommendation through the Commissioner of Education to close schools statewide. Uh, this is unprecedented. Uh, it threw us into a mode that we had never been uh, and, 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 and we are still in uh, those, those moments, those throes of uh, sometimes anguish, sometimes uh, uncertainty, uh, but, but, but very much uh, afraid in many instances as to what the future holds. And so what we have done is convened a group of stakeholders from around the state, people who are directly impacted uh, and can directly impact uh, public education. There are 2.7 million children who attend our public schools statewide, over 200,000 employees throughout the state of Florida that directly uh, impact uh, children's education every day. The world, our country, our communities are trying to figure out how we re-engage our public schools, how we get back into the fray of academic success, how we move the agenda of educating our children and do it safely. And so that is why we have convened this statewide task force. Sure, everyone wants the kids back in school so things can get back to some semblance of normality. But Dr. Suzanne Miner, who serves on the new task force, says once those schools open, they create an ideal environment to spread the virus by turning kids into what she calls agents of contagion. 
while children tend to have less severe outcomes from this novel virus, they can still become ill and easily give this infected to more vulnerable adults, including family members and school employees. Bringing large numbers of people together in a school is a perfect situation for this virus to spread out of control due to children's decreased maturity levels and their ability to learn and follow social distancing and basic hygiene recommendations like hand washing, not touching one's face, covering coughs and sneezes. If schools reopen prematurely, schools are going to become the etiology of super spreading events, which means we will soon read about clusters of infections and deaths that each child has caused. The r naught for this virus is two to three, which means that each infected person is likely to infect two to three people. During this pandemic, children attending school and then returning home will likely act as contagion agents and further this pandemic and unfortunately its economic impact. The Centers for Disease Control is recommending social distancing be required at schools when they reopen, but Leon County School Superintendent Rocky Hanna says good luck with that. I know the CDC put out some things about social distancing with students and 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 you know there's not a whole lot of social distancing on a school bus with 50 or 60 kids. There's not a whole lot of social distancing. I've been in, in large high schools the majority of my career. When, when classes change in between first and second period, there's not a whole lot of social distancing. It's obvious, it's quite the opposite of social distancing. So those are the challenges that our public school system would face, but the people making these decisions also need to hear from us. They need to hear the realities of what we're dealing with. And then the challenges of, of implementing some of these recommendations. We wanna keep kids safe first and foremost, but they, the governor and the commissioner have to hear from us. We have to have a voice. We have to have a seat at the table because otherwise I fear that those folks that have no idea what our world looks like are going to be making these decisions and we're going to be forced to try to implement something that's not practical. FEA President Ingram says they've already seen what happens if schools reopen too soon. Today we just saw a real setback in Denmark as they had to close some schools because they're starting to see what Dr. Susie Minor talked about, this community spread. And what we don't want to do is turn our children into carriers and they go home and hug grandmother and they go home, you know, and they may not have a symptom uh, one way or another. But how do we prevent that and how do we move forward uh, with those kinds of things? Teachers have reason to be cautious about reopening. After all, they're the ones facing the greatest threat of infection once the kids return to class. The teachers union also created a separate task force to come up with ideas for reopening Florida's universities and state colleges. It's chaired by Karen Morian, who leads the United Faculty of Florida chapter at the Florida State College in Jacksonville. We know that higher education in Florida is a driver of our economy. We know that we have a very good return on investment into our communities, both state and locally, uh, when we invest in higher ed. Uh, And so we want to make sure that if we're gonna do this, we're gonna do it right. And we want it to be successful. And I will tell you that the things I'm seeing coming out of the government agencies, including the Board of Governors, are very loose. They are things like, talk to your local public health officials and make a plan. And we think rather than having 40 institutions have to make their own plans, Um, that there can be some guidelines that we can help with. I will also tell you the reason we put this together, and most of you already know this, is that most of those task force are made up uh, largely of uh, the business side of our communities. And so we wanted to bring the other stakeholders in higher education, students, parents, faculty, community leaders, um, and certainly uh, medical and health professionals and mental health professionals. We've tried to put together a group that really represents all the stakeholders in higher ed in our state. 
We want to get as many perspectives. We want to get as many different angles. We want to look at this and spin it around and see what we've missed, see what we can improve, see what we can make more Florida specific. The task forces will submit their plans to the governor and the education commissioner next month and then cross their fingers and hope the politicians and businessmen take their concerns seriously. The COVID-19 pandemic is all we talk about these days, but it's worth remembering coronavirus isn't the only thing trying to kill us. Hurricanes, for example. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has released its official prognostication for the Atlantic hurricane season. They say it's going to be another above-average year, with as many as 19 named storms, as many as six major hurricanes. NOAA also says there's a possibility it could be extremely active, which would be even worse. One reason for the forecast? Well, April's record-breaking heat warmed up a stretch of the Atlantic Ocean, where hurricanes often form. Now, if the prediction pans out, this will be the fifth year in a row for above-average activity in the Atlantic. In fact, we've already had our first storm, Arthur, before the season even began. Speaking of hurricanes, Florida's master of disaster will not be running for the state legislature this year. Former Representative Jared Moskowitz has decided to remain at his current post, leading the Division of Emergency Management, and says he is laser-focused on the role as hurricane season approaches. The District 29 seat held by Senator Kevin Rader is wide open because he's decided not to run for another term. And Moskowitz, though, is the third big name to consider the race and then opt out. Former Senator Joe Abruzzo and Palm Beach County Commissioner Melissa McKinley also passed on the race. As of now, Representative Tina Polsky and former Representative Irv Slosberg are the candidates pursuing the seat. Your calendar of events begins with the Florida School for the Deaf and Blind. The trustees are holding an online meeting at 10.30 after committee meetings that begin at 9. The Florida Board of Hearing Aid Specialists meets by conference call at 9. A Leon County judge will hear arguments at 9.30 in a lawsuit over the state's beleaguered unemployment compensation system, which you heard earlier the governor describe as a jalopy. The Florida Department of Economic Opportunity is scheduled to release April's unemployment figures at 10. As you heard, it's going to be bad. And at 11.30, Space Florida and Florida Venture Forum will host the first day of a two-day webinar in which 20 aerospace companies will make presentations about their proposals to win Space Florida's Accelerating Innovation Awards. First prize is $40,000. Finally, today it's time to check in with Florida Man and his female counterpart. Police in Sanford say a Florida woman who claims she wanted to help area businesses in need of masks to protect themselves from coronavirus actually kept them for herself and then tried to sell them online. Investigators say Anna Liebel joined a Facebook group called the Million Mask Challenge, and she convinced them to give her 265 masks to donate to Orlando Health and other businesses. After she took the Highland masks, valued at a whopping $4,300, police say she blocked members of the Facebook group and began posting online advertising to try to sell the masks for 4 bucks a pop. She is charged with fraud and grand theft. Finally, 14 Florida men are busted for gambling and cockfighting by the Polk County Sheriff's Office. They were also charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor because there was a 10-year-old boy in the mobile home where they were gambling. 481 roosters and chickens were removed from the property. Deputies also discovered a loaded AK-47, a 12-gauge shotgun, and enough cocaine to file drug trafficking charges against the guy who lived at the trailer. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, and I'm on vacation Memorial Day, so we invite you to join us again on Tuesday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.